Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 12 of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Founder Podcast. Thank you again for sharing your earbuds with me today. I'm super excited about today's episode. You'll be hearing me talk with Seriously, some of the coolest dudes on the planet. They're the founders of Tomka Australia, which is a car startup. They're literally disrupting the car manufacturing space here in Australia. And they have such a cool story. I had to share it with you. Not only do they talk about what it takes to disrupt the car industry, but they share a ton of gold on how to get press for your startup and some interesting marketing tactics and strategies on what it takes to sell a really high ticket item online. One of the biggest takeaways I had from this interview was that Steve Sammartino said to me, most people that would want to start a car startup must be pretty crazy because if you had no money, you probably wouldn't want to start a car startup. And if you knew anything about the industry, you probably wouldn't, wouldn't want to either. So starting with no knowledge and no money has actually landed them with success from carving out their own pavement in their own industry, which actually got me thinking. This is the exact same philosophy I had when I started Founder and, and the magazine. I literally just didn't know anything about publishing, apps, design, editorial. I just started, and that was because I just wanted to solve a problem for myself. Sometimes, no matter how much research you do and, and how well you know you think you might know the market, you just don't know the odds. So I just knew that I was going to make it work. 
So I just wanted to share that with you guys because some of you might be listening and you might be thinking, oh, you know, I don't know what the right steps are. My market has these competitors and I don't know how I'm going to scale this business and I don't know how to get more customers and I don't know which marketing tactics to use. Just remember, at the end of the day, you just have to try things. Everything's a test. Just keep trying things, see what sticks, and you will find something. You will make it work because you never know if you don't try, right? So that's it from me, guys. If you are enjoying these interviews, please make sure you leave us a five-star review. That would be extremely helpful. Subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends, and yeah, let's jump in. Today, I'm speaking with Tom Carr. I'm speaking with Dave Brim. He's the CEO and founder of Tom Carr and the CMO, Chief Marketing Officer, Steve Sammartino. And Tom Carr is a commercial off-road utility vehicle. So they've launched a car manufacturing startup. They're from Australia and they're disrupting this space. So I wanted to talk to these guys around everything entrepreneurship, their challenges they're facing, what we can learn from them and their journey and, and story. So uh, both David and Steve, thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Awesome. So David, as a CEO, can you first just give us uh, the listeners and readers a, a brief, quick intro around Tomcar and uh, how it all started? Yeah, of course. Tomcar, the vehicle, was originally designed by the Israeli Defense Force. It's actually a military-grade all-terrain vehicle. We licensed the production and distribution of the car here in Australia. So in 2005, we bought the rights and we customized the car over many years before we started production for Australian conditions because they're quite unique, very uh, tough. So we spent many years preparing the business for launch and in 2000, late 2011 we started early production of the vehicle and our main markets are the defense industry of course because that's what the car is, agriculture, mining and emergency services and a small part obviously is recreation. Mm-hmm. And how did you conceptualize this idea? You mentioned that it's from an Israeli modeled military car, like how, how did you how did you come up with this idea? Like you didn't just one day think, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. How, how did that all start? Can you walk us through how that started? Yeah, definitely. I was based in London at the time and my mother's Australian and my parents were retiring to Australia in 2005 and me and my brother wanted to do something over here and our father, came, who's Israeli, came across the Tomcar because he was looking to do something in his retirement and we all went to Israel, we saw the car, we fell in love with it, we met the inventors, we saw so much potential for the product. You know, I was in property, I wasn't even intending to move to Australia, but it just snowballed and the, the project just accelerated and we got so excited about the, the product and we moved to Australia and we saw the, the challenges very quickly were much bigger than we ever anticipated. The, the car was an incredible vehicle, but the back end wasn't 100%, so the bills and materials weren't complete, the drawings weren't complete, we needed owner's manuals, warranty schedules, servicing manuals. I mean, it's just an incredible amount of documentation you need to actually start a car company. But once we'd started, we loved it, and we just 
it just snowballed and got bigger and bigger and bigger. And now, nine years later, we're selling cars across Australia and people are loving the product. If I could just add there too, David, and I think you left out one really important thing. What's that? That you didn't intend to manufacture the car when you first signed up to it, right? That's why don't you true. Why don't you go through that? Because, <laughs> hey, I mean, I think it's a, it's a pretty big thing. In startups, we talk a lot about the pivot. Now, this has got to be the biggest pivot of all time. Why don't you tell everyone what happened today? No, you're right, actually. Yeah. Yeah, we did buy the rights to manufacture, but we always were intending initially to just import the vehicles from Israel and sell them. And the numbers we were looking at as well were quite small. Mm. 150 units a year but the early cars that arrived from Israel weren't up to the quality standards we needed so we quickly realized that we had to do it ourselves and you know coming from property business into the car making (laughs) is quite different but you know it's interesting Steve here gives a fantastic talk and he says you know to, to start a car company in Australia you need two things you need no idea what doing because if you did you wouldn't do it and also you don't need, you need no money because if you did have money you wouldn't spend it on starting a car company but <laughs> and i think that's it's interesting a lot of successful entrepreneurs in new industries have come in without being brainwashed of how the legacy industry works mm. i think actually you need that more than anything because if you have legacy thinking you won't be able to cut through and do anything differently but you yeah, know, it, it, you, you, yeah, and you also need, I think, a lack of resources so that you'll bootstrap and find ways to do things as well. If you have too many resources, you'll spend them in the traditional manner and you won't get there. So, I think having those two things are actually the classic example of disadvantages or lack of resources becoming an advantage. Yeah, I agree, definitely. And I think coming in the car industry, especially, which is such an arcane stayed industry with such a legacy infrastructure with the manufacturing, the distribution, the dealer networks, the price points. It's so established that we came in as just car fans. And we're like, why can't we sell them on the internet? Well, you can't sell them on the internet. No one's going to buy a car on the internet. And we're like, no, 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 I really think we can sell cars on the internet. No, 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 you can't do that. That's crazy. You know what? 50% of the cars we sell are for people over the internet. So, and, and many yeah. have never even sat in one. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. And I'm curious, Steve, how, how do you all fit into this, man? Like how did you guys meet and how how did you come on a CMO? That's an interesting story too. And And this is one where the time that we spend with people and where we spend our time as people becomes really important. So I was at a startup party. A friend of mine, Ned, who ran a company at the time was called Tweaky.com. It's now called Alto.com. He had a profitability party where he made profit. So I'm standing there at this party next to a guy who happened to be David. And you know, my, my thing is whenever you're at a, a party, you just whoever you ha- happen to stand next to, have a chat. And David and I, David said, do you want a beer? He bought me a beer. Next thing we get chatting and I said, oh, what do you do? What's your startup? Because it was a very startup-y kind of entrepreneurial place. And he said, oh, I make cars. And I said, oh, do you work for Ford or Holden? And he said, no, 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 I, I make cars. I said, what, you're a startup and makes cars? And he said, I don't know, am I a startup? I said, what do you mean? You know, you make cars. He said, oh, I've got a factory. We've got cars called Tom Car. And he showed me a picture on his phone. I was like, oh, my God, not only are you a startup, but you're a real one. You actually make real stuff. And I'm excited. <laughs> and I'm just standing next to you. And we had a pretty good chat. And then after that, we just kept catching up, having coffee, talking about his business and 
he just kind of wrote me in. Next thing you know, I'm working with Tomka. <laughs> wow. And you mentioned that 50% of your cars are bought online. Why do you think you've got so much trust there? What can people learn from building that trust online that you've built? Like, Because that's very impressive. Yeah, look, I think there's an interesting statistic that recently released that five years ago, the average car buyer would go into a dealer 10 times before they purchased a car. This year, it was one and a half times. So what's happening is the power is now moving to the consumer. All the information is available to them on the internet. They know exactly what car they want to buy. All they do is they go to the dealer to get the best price. People are used to buying things on the internet now, and I think we provide as much information as we can about the car. So a lot of these people are calling us you know, five or ten times. They're talking to my engineers. They're talking to other customers. We put them in touch with other customers. And a lot of them, if they can, you know, actually fly to Melbourne to see us. But I think there's a trust because we expose ourselves on the internet. We've got nothing to hide. You know, we make these cars. We're very proud of them. They're the best all-terrain vehicles in the world. We don't have a dealer network. So when you talk to us, you talk to the people that make them. And I think people like that. It's very different. It's very unique. You know, we own the car company. We build the cars and we service our customers. So it's a very unique situation. I think people trust it. It's great. I think it's a very open book in terms of what we do. You know, we're happy to take people through the factory and show the cars being made and all of the online activities we do are very transparent and authentic. And I think historically a lot of car companies have had a lot of chicanery to use. uh, That's an understatement. An understatement. (laughs) So, you know, we just try and do the opposite of whatever a traditional car company would do and people notice. They notice that. They say, hey, these guys are pretty straight up. There's, There's no tricks in in what they do and and it's refreshing that creates the trust and after we've had the conversations we just get these orders just drop online which is a lovely surprise when you log in and get your emails yeah it's great mm. yeah yeah no that'd be a nice dollar amount well it's big boxes for big dollars so it's mm. nice i don't have to sell a million paper clips <laughs> <laughs> so let's actually talk about the marketing piece either david or steve you by all means, I'm not sure who would like to answer this, but how do you guys go about acquiring customers and, and raising awareness for your cars? Yeah, so, I mean, that, that's kind of where I came in and I've been hanging out with Tom Car for, I don't know, nearly 12 months now. And the thing that's interesting is that we don't have a marketing budget at all, almost. It's almost fair to say we don't. And, and the auto industry is well known for having the biggest marketing budgets of any industry really, you know, lots of advertising and shiny stuff. And so the way that we cut through, and this is a classic startup mentality or entrepreneur's mentality is to do, you know, what I call media hacking. So we do a number of things which we know will generate attention and then we can revert that attention to the car. So I'll just give you one simple thing that we did, which was a, I'm going to say it's a media hack. The first thing we did was, well, the first car to accept Bitcoin as a form of payment. So the first new car that you could buy in the world using Bitcoin. And by doing that, we knew that we would get a lot of attention. And Mm. the attention in the first instance was very much in the technology kind of news area. But as Bitcoin became more important and became more known in the general media, when they Google, you know, what can you buy on Bitcoin, Tomcar comes up. So from that simple media hack, we've been featured on Channel 9 News, ABC, Morning Show, all, all manner of 
media just from one media hack. But then what we do is we take that attention that that generates and then talk about the car. Oh, by the way, did you know we're in Australia's first car manufacturer in over 30 years, Australian-owned and Australian-made? Here's our cars. They're terrific. And they go, oh, we didn't realise. Mm-hmm. So it's almost a Trojan horse effect. So that's one example of marketing that we've done. And we've also taken the juxtaposition of what's happening in the auto industry. Mm. Uh, the thing that you mentioned at the start was that we, you know, we regard ourselves as a tech company who so happened to make cars rather than a yeah. car company. Yeah, it's important. And, and that is something that garners a lot of attention because it puts us into the, a different space where people will listen to what we do because we have a different approach to how we do things. Can you delve a little bit deeper on that? Like, can you give me give me some more examples around how coming both like I know David, you didn't come from a tech background, but Steve, what else do you bring coming from a tech background when it comes to a car startup? The thing that I like to think of is the way technology companies approach the factors of production and industry in general. So one of the things that technology companies do incredibly well is that they adapt to the marketplace. And what we're seeing at the moment is a split between design and manufacturing. Years ago during the industrial world, it was very much if you wanted to make something, you had to own the factory, you would make, own, design and distribute. And we're seeing a real splitting of that. So one of the simplest examples I can provide is that we're a little bit more like Apple as a company or any of the technology companies than we are like Holden where we don't own a factory. We have a strong relationship with our manufacturing arm and they have a, a share in Tomcar, but we don't own a manufacturing facility, our core job is to design and put a car on the market that can be made very, very well, but we don't have to be the people who make it. Mm-hmm. Another thing that we mm. do very differently is we don't have a retail network like traditional auto manufacturers do. We sell direct. So again, similar to technology companies, own design and branding and sell direct to your consumers so that you have a direct relationship. Yeah. And most of the strong growing brands now have direct relationships with their audience so they're three examples of how we approach the business infrastructure in the same way technology companies do versus auto manufacturers mm, i see so you don't you don't own the supply chain no, no we, we don't we, we tap into it and and actually that's the future of business i mean what smart entrepreneurs and businesses need to realize is that owning the assets is now optional Okay, we live in a collaborative consumption environment. We now all have access to manufacturing, whether it's through Alibaba.com to find out who makes single-speed, you know, fixed-gear bicycles or, you know, manifolds for a car or, you know, springs or office chairs. All of that stuff can now be accessed. So the real question is how are you going to design what you're going to do, how are you going to build an audience, and how will you directly connect with your audience? They're actually the real business questions now, not where you'll get it made. Yeah, that's exactly how I run Founder. All all our team members are contractors and everything we do is ad hoc on a contractual basis. And yeah, it's fascinating. Like I, you know, this is this is a serious magazine or a published company, you know? Right, exactly. And and the whole thing now is that we, we can make choices on how we build an infrastructure and things are now very non-linear. So it, it doesn't have to be that way. And what happened in the first instance, I mean, this internet thing is bigger than information because What happens is information first changes, but then the physical world changes as a result of that. And so in the first iteration of the internet, we thought that the only things we could mash up were informational. You know, some people call the internet the the electronic cat database. So it's, it's, it's much, much more than people mashing up videos and visuals and words. And actually, we can mash up the physical world once we know where things are and who can do things. And so... 
the smart money in business now is finding out who does the physical things, who does the informational things, and mashing them up in the same way that we would traditionally mash up a video or something that was just audio-visual. How can we now mash things up that are physical? And that's why you get this whole maker movement happening. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, manufacturing 2.0. Yeah, that's what we call We call it manufacturing 2.0. That's kind of where we sit. And I guess, you know, the maker movement is sometimes called that as well. So because you guys have this model that this essentially allows you to only make what you sell. It does, but you have to understand, you know, we're still making traditional items. So we still have to buy all the products. There are over 2,000 parts in a car. 60% are bought from local suppliers, but 40% currently come from overseas. So there's thousands of items we're purchasing. There's still a traditional economies of scale involved in building cars. So okay. we've streamlined the whole system. Every car we make comes off the line. It's identical. We don't have 50 different model variants. We've only got three variants in model, mm-hmm. the two-seater, the two-seater ute, and the four-seater. You can choose a different type of engine, petrol or diesel, whether it has doors or a roof or a canopy, that's it. You can't – BMW make, let's say, 21 different types of 3 Series models. So we don't have the huge facilities to do that. So the way we set the company up was to be really streamlined in production, and that's allowed us to build to demand. So it's a pull system. It's a demand pull manufacturing rather than a retail push, which exists now in the auto industry. Yeah, and in some ways that's a little bit similar to technology products. So if we take a, the average smartphone, the smartphone might have a different motor in it, you know, how many gigabytes of memory it's got or RAM, but you customise the car in the aftermarket with the app store. And so our basic premise is we'll build the base model of the car, but if you do want to purchase other elements outside of that, then you can do that in the aftermarket in the same way that you would do in the technology space. So that's another example of how we streamline manufacturing but we have optionality once you've got the product and the brand in your hand well in this case you're sitting in the seat you can then customize the car because that's actually better for the end user but it's also better for the manufacturer so that we can get the car to you quickly and more succinctly and with a better profit margin because of the streamlined nature of what we sell when you guys first started producing in 2011, was it 2011, yes? Yeah, late 2011, yep. the line started. So we started trickling off. It was one car a month to start mm-hmm. to iron out the bugs, but we had a waiting list, so we had to, to build. So, yeah. I see. And did you always, from, from 2011, know this is how you guys are going to operate and, and, and run your business and, and manufacturing? Well, manufacturing was kind of set. Retail, though. No, retail, no. We, we were still up in the air with uh, selling online. We were still traditional franchise automotive distributor model. But we quickly realized that because it was a brand new brand and the expectation on the automotive dealer network is selling hundreds of cars a week, it just wasn't working. And we were, mm. we were kind of releasing our product into the wild through a gatekeeper that didn't know anything about the car. So I didn't trust the dealers to know what they were talking about. So we very quickly changed the model and sell direct on the internet. Yeah, it's interesting because once upon a time, the dealer would always know more than the customer on any Mm. You would walk in because how could you possibly know? You get a brochure if you went in there. There was no internet. People had to trust the dealer and they had this there was this information asymmetry where they had an advantage and and that has now evaporated 
But there's an interesting lesson for all kinds of entrepreneurs who choose to sell in retail, any form of retail, and whether it's car retail or whether you're selling a new brand of cereal that you've made and you want to put it on Coles and Woolworths shelf. If you choose to go into someone else's retail environment, that puts a lot of undue pressure on your startup and your brand because then you have this supply push mentality where you've got the products on your shelf, you've got pressure for people to pull them off the shelf. So you need to spend an inordinate amount of money on promoting your brand and brand awareness. You need to get the someone who's selling it in their retail outlet to care about your brand more than the other brands that they also sell. And then you need to give them a financial incentive, which might be greater than the other brands. So you get into this spiral of needing to serve a retailer instead of serving your customer. So the mm. best thing I think any startup can do is own their own distribution channel and even if it takes longer and it's slower, to invest in a direct relationship because it removes the need for advertising pressure, it removes the pressure of sharing too much of the revenue to create an incentive for the retailer, it removes the comparison against other brands in that same environment. And it's the same with SEO or the same with selling on Amazon. You need, If you're in someone else's environment, they start to own you and then that starts to shape the product and how you go to market and you have to make all of these compromises along the way. I think the smartest thing that any entrepreneur can do is say, how can I have this direct connection so that I can maintain a core focus on what I'm selling rather than pleasing someone in a supply chain? If you guys just sell online, do you guys use like email marketing? Do you, do you try and build your list? Do online marketing like Facebook ads? Like what else do you do besides PR to, to generate buzz and to generate traffic to your site and awareness around yeah, okay. selling your cars? We have a Facebook page that we've got fans on. We don't advertise. You know, very early on, it's a waste of effing money. We don't advertise. So we, as, as Steve said before, we do lots of PR and we believe in uh, serendipity. So that's our marketing mm. strategy is public relations and serendipity. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah. and yeah, well, we've got the email. Oh, it's planned. Yeah, we do we a do. newsletter to all our fans. Like just yesterday, I got a car, a guy sold a car. He's been following us since 2006. He came to see us in 2006 when we were based up in Brisbane. And he's been following us. He wanted to be a, a reseller of Tom Cars back then. But back then we had the big car dealer in mind. But now he's back and he wants to be one of our brand ambassadors because that's one of the ways we get the vehicle physically out there is we have a, a network of what we call brand ambassadors who own ah. a Tom Car and part, they get a discounted price for a car and a revenue stream of, of any sales in their area. And part of the deal is that they allow people to come and have a demonstration of the car. Ah, yeah, so that'd be, that'd... We build a family. We're trying to build a big family and people love that in a way because, you know, the Facebook page is a really nice way for us. We don't advertise on Facebook, but we do, we just take photos of everyday life of what we're doing. People are really interested in what we're doing. You know, we, we, we photo of me cleaning a car and, interesting problems we have and it, look it's, there's an honesty and as you know as steve mentioned before it used to be buyer beware okay that's changed it's seller beware nowadays okay just because you have a social media page doesn't mean you can make your piece of turd look like a shiny piece of gold <laughs> people are more aware than ever if you've got a crap product yeah. and tom carl we're lucky our product is amazing so we we you know word of mouth is great and people love being a part of that. So as Steve said before, we don't hide anything. We're quite open. We mm. let people come and see the factory and 
People yeah. like that. I mean, there's this thing that's happening at the moment. I like to call it industrial tourism. And, and it happens a lot within the tech companies where people are super interested in how the world's being redefined and they're very keen to understand the type of company they're doing business with. Yeah. And we like to think that we can share the process of what we make and how we make it and what we do and, and let people see behind the curtain somewhat. And that, that's, mm. that's a little bit inspiring. And I think that brands that share their process, it's a great way to, to get fans and brand evangelists and even the idea of where we're getting distributors who, you know, brand evangelists or reps who own a Tomcar, you know, it's just in their little geography they own that. They're the Tomcar representative. Yeah. It's a little bit like a model might have been in the 1920s or 30s before retail evolved to the way it, yeah. it is now. And, you know, one of the things that we did and, and people tell us we're crazy is that if someone buys a car within their territory and they haven't even seen this person and they get lucky, we still give them their percentage of commission we want to say no actually we care enough about it we're more interested in selling the cars and if serendipity happens and you get lucky then good yeah, that's exactly. terrific yeah there's someone else in your area so it's about doing some things that seem counterintuitive and uneconomic but they actually become more economic in a world where what you do and why you do it spreads to people rather than here's our product and here's our price point you know who we are and who people are buying from becomes pretty important. We're already confident in our car. We know the car's amazing, but we want people to be confident in us as an organisation. So we do some things that you wouldn't read about in a textbook. Yeah, no, it's fascinating because you, you essentially sell online, but you're saying that you don't really do much stuff online to, to generate traffic. I did good yeah. ads for a while. I didn't do anything. Yeah, mm. I, I think it's very difficult to do online advertising with a, a you know an AdWords campaign or without a big budget, especially for a high-value item. I think the way we we do online is we're we're focused on earned and owned media rather than bought media. It's it's interesting. You talk about online. You know, we're a tech company. We sell our cars online, but we don't live online. We manifest an all-terrain vehicle, and the people that use our vehicles are kind of offline. They're off the grid. They're in rural locations. They're on farms. The online just facilitates communication between us and our users yeah Mm. it's basically what social media should be direct line of conversation between us and our customers so the internet just allows someone to use their credit card to buy a car they know what they want they go online they buy it we deliver it to them people come to our website we give as much information as we can but they don't we don't live there yeah Mm. does that make sense yeah no 100 percent the yeah. way yeah, we just kind of happen upon people who it's are facilitate. Yeah, we just facilitate, and and people who need on all terrain vehicles have a way of finding out about us because we're published and we're on there. We find that the conversation spreads. But also, I think Google's algorithms are so good and they're so real that if you type in all terrain vehicle Australia, we are always on the front page because we are the only all terrain vehicle made in Australia. <laughs> The search results are actually, we don't need to advertise because mm. their algorithms are so good. So they've, it's managed to kind of, Google really helps you find what you need to find. And you know what, I honestly think, I never click ads on Google page. No, I don't either. And I don't like ads following me now. I've noticed they've got that new software. Retargeting. 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 <laughs> so you yeah. see the same ad on all different websites. Which actually can be very – and anyone out there who does retargeting who listens to this, you've got to be very careful. I'll give you an example. I bought a book recently because I went onto a website, but I bought the book on a different browser 
and now they're paying for retargeting ads to me every day. It's like I've already bought this thing. Why are you retargeting oh. away? So I That's went, happened to me a number of times. When I see the ad again and again, I clear my cache and cookies and then it stops until yes. I'm hit again by it. I don't know. Look, I think advertisers are still trying to find the space and I think those advertisers are still driven by traditional media. I mean, Steve, you used to work in an mm. advertising agency, quite a big global one. See, we don't advertise. I kind of, I find it so refreshing when a magazine calls me up going, oh, we've got a special, we're doing a, a monthly report on all-terrain vehicles for farmers and for a full-page spread for $6,000, we'll put an ad for you and we'll write an editorial for you. And I'm like, no, we don't do advertising, but why don't you write an article about us because we're the only Australian ATV. No, not interested, only if you pay us. So I'm getting a bit pissed off with the media in Australia because what's happening is farmers, for example, are reading these rural newspapers. Mm. None of it is journalism. It's all paid advertorials. Mm. That's not right. That can't be right. How can that be right? happens a lot. It even happens mm. in mainstream media where certain news items will be left out of Channel 9 News if Channel 9 gets a lot of money from said company who did a bad thing. Terrible. It happens a lot. I mean, Bring on Apple know, TV, man. Yeah, well, I mean, no, but, but this, is, this, is what we, this is the whole authenticity piece, isn't it? And this yeah. is what we hope for, right? Yeah. A more informed audience who know whether or not Correct. something deserves to be covered. And I think that actually helps our brand. Because we don't buy advertising, they know that the information that's out there is real and authentic and there is, there is no hidden incentive for the person talking about us. Yeah, exactly. I have a couple more questions. First of all, for David, what have been your biggest struggles with starting up Tom Carr? I know you may have had a few the way you describe it. Yeah. Um, and how did you cope? Can you give me one or two? Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, look, the biggest stress at the beginning is the cost of running a business. I mean, and then, you know, setting up a business is expensive. Legal fees, you know, accountants. Oh man, we went through like eight accountants to find a good accountant. That was heartbreaking. It's expensive, and you know, when your bank balance goes down and down and down, and you know, you can't. It's scary. Okay, but I buried myself in the arms of a young woman, so that helped, and ate good food. No, look, it's you need to have faith in your product. I mean, I've heard Steve talk about this before. You need to go all in, right? Burn your bridges. There's no going back. This has to be a success. This will be a success. And I love the product, and it's incredible. You will be fine. If you're kind of half-heartedly doing something, you've got another job, you're not really committed, you're not too sure about it, forget it. You're not going to make it, right? And I love the idea of the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. Mm. I believe that, and I've seen now... When I'm interviewed or like this, I can answer any question because I've been asked it before. In the early days, I didn't know the product exactly, completely. You know, I've been asked questions that have stumped me. But now I've, I've been asked every question under the sun. I know my co consumer because I speak to them every day. The longer you do something, the better you are at it. The worst worry is not having enough money to keep doing it, you know. That's been the, the scariest moments were, you know, running out of money and also huge issues with suppliers. So like a key component, well, every component's key in a car because anything that doesn't come to the line stops the whole car. 
we've had issues with suppliers going bust or not being able to sell us the part or and that has been panicking and it keeps you up at night because you've got deadlines and the production needs to keep going but you just keep doing it and have fun i get to wear trainers every day i don't have to shave it's awesome <laughs> <laughs> awesome so i'd like to know from both of you guys, what would be two action items that readers and listeners can take away from both of your experiences with Tom Carr and as entrepreneurs? So two, two from you, Steve, and two from you, David. Uh, the, the first one is if you want to be an entrepreneur, then you need to start acting like an entrepreneur. And here's what entrepreneurs do. They hang out with other entrepreneurs, they go to events, they make products and they do stuff. Right? And they don't worry too much about whether or not it'll work or won't work. They just actually do. You know, being an entrepreneur is about enterprise. You know, that's, that's where the word comes from. So you need to act like it. You know, anyone who, if you want to be a bodybuilder, you go to the gym and you lift weights. You want to be a swimmer, you go and you swim. You want to be a marathon runner, you run every day. So entrepreneurs have got to do it and be, you've got to be in it and you've got to be in the community. I mean, that's how I met Dave, right? I wouldn't be part of a car company and a shareholder in a car company unless I was into entrepreneurship enough to go in a cold night it was in Melbourne and stand and have a beer and talk to other entrepreneurs. So get yourself in a position where serendipity can happen, where you can make stuff and do things. So that would be my first piece of advice. And the second piece of advice would be don't work on projects you don't like just because you think you should do it. If you don't like a project, just quit it and go on to the next one. And even if it's a project that you used to love and one day you were excited about it, if you're no longer into it, then quit it and go on to the next one. I've had you know, a number of startups, some that succeeded and some that failed. And in hindsight, those that failed, I should have quit a lot quicker. So don't be afraid to quit. Two pieces of advice that people can take away and like use. Well, if you buy a Tom car, I'll give you a free. I'll give you a free ebook. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, Online marketing, one hundred and one. Yeah, yeah, got it. Anyway, well, one piece of advice is. You know, utilize what's around with regards to online software and, and make sure your back end is, is 100%. So don't launch your product. The product cannot be 100% finished, but your back end needs to be 100%. So your, the manuals, the user manuals, the support structure, you know, everything needs to be right. So we spent many years finalizing the back end, the warranty schedules, the servicing manuals. But we, were only, could, we only could do that because of what was available. So... You know, real, I'm going to drop some brands, but use Google Apps. If you're going to start a business, I, I would recommend that you use Google Apps. Move everything onto Google Apps. It's an incredible yeah, tool that the, mm. on the cloud. It makes your cost of IT nothing. And you don't have an IT department. You don't have any servers. That's a real practical piece of advice. Another thing is make sure you set your company up right. The structure has to be clean and correct get a good accountant, good lawyer. And one thing we do here at Tom Carr is we run our business like a public company. It's one thing I learned from my father. Run the business like a public company. And when you do go public or you do have your exit, you're all ready. You know, you need to be bang on with your accounts. You need to be bang on with your legalities. And so make sure everything is correct and, and, and ordered first because then you won't have any issues coming forward. Awesome. And last question for both you guys is, is what do you see the future of the car industry in Australia and also Tom Car? What are your dreams and visions for the next five, ten years? 
The car industry in Australia is going through seismic change. The big three, the last remaining big three are leaving. However, there are thousands of automotive components manufacturers left in Australia and they export all over the world. So they're going to thrive and grow. I want other companies to come and utilize that beautiful supply network. So whether they're making whatever, I mean, we still make buses here, we make trams. So it's not the end of manufacturing as we know it. For Tomcar, you know, us is exciting, growing, more and more people are hearing about us. One thing that I'm loving is we're changing people's lives. So people who are on the land, living on the land, are now so much more productive because they have a Tomcar. So that's really enjoyable, just hearing from people how we're helping them with their business and their life. It's fantastic. You can't put a price on that, hey? 25000 including GST. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 there's some authenticity. <laughs> awesome. For me on the, on, on the Tomcar, you know what would be really cool? If in a few years from now when they talk about successful startup companies in Australia that Tomcar is one of those ones that's regarded as, oh, Tomcar, that was an amazing business if we have an exit or you know, nice. we get into a, a good place where Tomcar is referenced as one of those successful companies because in the startup scene, it tends to be very dot-com and informational. So it would be really cool to open up people's minds on what's possible and for Tomcar to be referenced as one of those amazing companies that came out of Australia when they talk about startups or game-changing companies. That, that for me, would be the ultimate. That would be cool. Yeah, well... Look, I love what you guys are doing. I love the vision and, yeah, it's it's really, really cool and, and I have a lot of respect for what, what you're both doing and I, I can only imagine how, how tough it would have been to start something like this and how many people would have just not understood you and thought you were an idiot. So <laughs> it, happens, it happened this morning, so nothing changed. <laughs> and how people didn't want to do business when you rang them up and said, oh, we're starting a car company. They said, yeah. oh, yeah, phone call over. <laughs> and now they bring it back, hey, remember me? You rang three yeah, years ago. Oh. <laughs> Look, it's rewarding, but at the same time, it's like things need to change, man. Things need to change. Love it. Awesome. Well, we'll wrap there, guys. I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time. Thanks, Nathan. You guys were brilliant, so thank you. Thanks, Nathan. It's a pleasure. Thanks, man. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic And I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.